Just a few comments I want to make about the Good Samaritan this evening, Luke 10, 25 through 37. Luke 10, 25 through 37. Because Jesus defines for us in this parable who is our neighbor. Steve and John is someone in Cuba, our neighbor? Absolutely. Jesus defines neighbor not in terms of how close someone lives to you, but in terms of their need. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered right. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, Here's the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, help us to be good neighbors to everyone who needs it most. The best thing we can do is tell them about Jesus because that's the greatest need that this world has. In your name we pray, amen. This parable is so powerful. It's been the inspiration for thousands of benevolent institutions, hospitals, orphanages, nursing homes, food banks. You can go into almost any town and see Good Samaritan Food Bank, Good Samaritan Hospital, Good Samaritan something. Good Samaritan name has been attached somewhere as acts of kindness have been inspired by this anonymous Samaritan. Jesus is teaching us that love and compassion are more than just emotions. For the Christian, they demand action. So a lawyer comes up and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's not an unusual question in first century Palestine because people were always asking, what do I have to do? You just give me a list of things to check off and I'll do that. I'll satisfy all the requirements so I can be saved. But if you stop and think about it, this question makes no sense. I heard a professor say one time, there can't be the right answer to a wrong question. Um, you can't do anything to inherit something, can you? Because inheriting something you do because of who you are, not because of something you've done. You become an heir to inherit something. So what must I do to inherit is, makes no sense. And Jesus says, well, he gives a standard answer. What does the law say? How do you interpret it? So you see what's happening when Jesus answers a question with a question, you better be careful because the trap is getting ready to spring. The lawyer gives the standard answer. Love God, 
love your neighbor. Jesus says, okay, do it. But then the lawyer doesn't stop. He says, define for me my neighbor. In other words, you tell me who, who is determined to be my neighbor. Let me draw a circle around those who are my neighbors, who I can define as my neighbor, and I will love them, and everybody else will be on the outside of that circle. They'll be non-neighbors, and I won't have to give them the time of day. It's a standard Jewish dialogue, relationship going on here, going at great lengths to define law and application. What must be done to fulfill a law? What must be avoided to satisfy a law? This is the law. This is how we interpret it. This is how we apply it. The lawyer is assuming that all non-neighbors are non-Jews and all neighbors will be fellow Jews and maybe only some of them. And so the conversation gives Jesus a platform to explain that you can't define those who you love and those who you don't have to love. You just can't draw a circle like that. Love is not defined, it's discovered. My favorite story is about, it comes from World War II. It's about a German soldier who was killed in World War II and his comrades didn't want to just leave him on the battlefield so they took him to the local parish of occupied France and asked them for burial. The priest, realizing the burial was for a German, an enemy, at first refused to allow the service to take place. Eventually, though, he relented and allowed the soldier to be buried just outside the church cemetery grounds separated by a fence. Well, a few days later, the, the German soldiers were getting ready to be transferred and they came back to that parish to pay their respects and they couldn't find their friend's grave. It was nowhere to be found. And they were angry and they went to the priest and they demanded to know why they moved their friends, why the priest had moved their friend's grave. And he said, I didn't move the grave. I moved the fence. That's what this lawyer was trying to do with Jesus. Tell me where I can draw a circle, put a fence that will include neighbors and exclude non-neighbors. Jesus doesn't just expand the fence. He does away with it altogether. So we're ready to hear the parable. Steve and John, if you're ever asked to preach a sermon on the spur of the moment, this is a simple outline. I heard it a long time ago. I even heard Chess use this one time in a funeral. The outline for the Good Samaritan is what's yours is mine and I'll take it. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. What's mine is yours and I'll give it. The first one is what's yours is mine and I'll take it. And that applies to the priest or to the, to the robbers who came um, 17 miles from Jerusalem down to Jericho, everyone knows it's rocky terrain, it's mountainous and dangerous, a day's journey. And robbers hid all along this road and attacked the pilgrims who were going up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice and coming down from Jerusalem after sacrifice on the way home. The man who's attacked is obviously a Jewish male because he's coming down from Jerusalem, down from the temple. Several robbers gang up and attack him. They took his clothing, his purse. They beat him up. They leave him for dead. And they represent what's mine is yours, and I'll take it. Unable or unwilling to work and earn their own living, they are intent on taking that which belongs to someone else. I read the police reports in the newspaper. First of all, to make sure I don't read the names of church members. 
And secondly, just to see what people are doing. And there's so much, you know, on the front page, cars broken into, homes broken into. People who don't work make a living from stealing from those who do. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. Let me just tell you this story real quick because it, it's something we need to learn from. I know a senior adult. This used to happen to my mom all the time. This wasn't my mom, but a senior adult got a call from her grandson. He said, Grandmom, I'm in, I'm in jail. I made the mistake. I was in the car with some people, and the police stopped the car. I was sitting in the back seat, but they found drugs in the car. And um, I'm in jail, and I need you to help me. Um, the police said, if you will send $6,000, they'll let me go. Um, and, and as soon as I get my check, I'll pay you back. Um, and she says, okay, grandson, how do you want me to do that? He said, um, go to a Target and get gift cards and send them to me. And she said, well, there's not a Target in this town. He said, well, then a Walmart will be fine. So she goes to the Walmart and she gets $6,000 in gift cards and sends them to this address. And a week later, she doesn't get reimbursed from her grandson. And she calls him and says, when are you going to pay me back? And he says, what are you talking about? And she said, I sent you $6,000 in Walmart gift cards and you promised to pay me back when you were paid. And he said, Grandmom, I never called you. That wasn't I that did that. It is so simple for thieves to look on internet and get names of relatives, familiar terms and phrases, and fool people into thinking that they are helping someone, maybe overseas, who lost their wallet and needed a ticket to get home, or a grandchild that got messed up in something. And I've often said if thieves would work as hard at making an honest living, as they do cheating people. They could be so successful. Somewhere along the way, they lost their conscience, got their wires twisted, and fell into the belief that it's okay to take something that belongs to someone else, particularly if it's a senior adult. What's yours is mine and I'll take it. The second one is what mine is mine and I'll keep it. This is the religious leaders. Uh, the priest was a privileged profession. There was no love lost on them to start with. He, you're born into Jewish priesthood and you considered yourself better than the others. The priest was a man of position and wealth. Verse 31 says he's going down. So he is also going down from the temple in Jerusalem down the road to Jericho. So he's coming home from church, probably riding a donkey, coming into contact with a man who had been beaten and robbed. He's probably unclean would render him ritually unclean. And if that's the case, then he cannot offer sacrifice. He can't collect and distribute the tithe. And that would hit him hard in the pocketbook. Best not take a chance and risk defilement. And so the priest kept on going. Then came the Levite. He was the lower clergy. He was an assistant to the priest in the temple. Like the musicians, the custodians, the police. He could not offer sacrifice. He didn't have access to the altar he was of the lower order of clergy. There were not as many laws and regulations governing his actions, but still going to the temple, maybe he, was, he went over and took a little bit closer look at the victim, but then passed by on the other side, once again, not wanting to risk being defiled by anything unclean. What's mine is mine. 
and I'll keep it. But the third one is what's mine is yours and I'll share it. Priest and Levite come by, the equivalents of a, hate to say it, a Baptist preacher and a deacon who do nothing. And if you're in the Jewish audience, what are you, what are you expecting next? Well, I'm expecting a Jewish layman to be the third one to come by and offer help. Instead, Jesus sticks the twist in and it's a Samaritan. You have to understand the disdain the Jews had for the Samaritans. Most of the Jews were captured and carried off into captivity in Babylon. Some who managed to stay behind in the northern kingdom married Gentiles and worshipped foreign gods. And so there was racial and religious intermarriage, both of which were unacceptable to the Orthodox Jews. And so when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from Babylon and rebuilt the wall and rebuilt the temple, guess who they excluded? They excluded the Samaritans. And so the animosity just seethed. But this Samaritan doesn't see skin color or religion. He sees a man in the ditch lying there half dead. They had very little of what you could call medicine. So he used some oil for washing the wound and some wine for disinfectant. He places this stranger on his animal and drops him off at the nearest inn, which is the closest thing to a hospital they had. And he says, I will repay, which is a standard formula for guaranteeing whatever debt the innkeeper accrues for caring for this, this man as he recovers. He is the good Samaritan, which to the Jews was a contradiction in terms because to the Jews, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. That was an oxymoron. The priest and the Levite know how to offer sacrifice, but you take them out of the temple and take away all their props and they're totally devoid of any compassion. What they do in church has no bearing in how they behave away from church. But the good Samaritan embodies the philosophy, what's mine is yours and I'll give it, I'll share it, driven by compassion and love. They would, the Jews in the audience that day would never identify with the Good Samaritan. But he is the only one in the story who loved. And so Jesus concludes by asking, okay, now you tell me, who is the neighbor? And the lawyer who's painted in a corner has to say, the one who showed mercy. Notice he couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan because he would have choked on those words. So he identified him by his action, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, all right then, you go and do likewise. You can't define a neighbor in advance because being a neighbor is not defined by proximity. It's defined by your heart. There's no such thing as a non-neighbor. As long as there are people in need in the world anywhere, they are our neighbors. People in Cuba are our neighbors. People in Peru are our neighbors. The lawyer just asked the wrong question. And Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity. Who is my neighbor? The right question is, am I a neighbor? And Jesus answers by saying, whether or not you're a neighbor depends on you. Let's pray.
God, can we honestly say what's mine is yours and I'll share it? Because there are neighbors who live in our neighborhood and who live in our state, who live in North America in this season of North American missions, who live in the world, who have great need. Yes, they are our neighbors. And you tell us to define a neighbor, not only by what they need, but what we do in response to it. Help us to see love and compassion with your eyes and to love people as you love people and to be neighbors to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.